Coming up next, a very special interview with a very special guest on this very first episode of EduTake. everyone and welcome to the very first episode of EduTake. I'm your host, Horace Badu. As you probably already inferred from the title, this will be a podcast where we explore various opinions or takes, if you will, about issues that are related to education. So let me start by giving you a little background about who I am. It's always so difficult to talk about myself because A, I don't like to talk about myself, and B, I wear so many different hats that sometimes even I can't keep up with them. But to name a few of the things that I do, I'm a speaker, I'm an educational consultant, I'm a TEDx curator, and I am a TEDx speaker coach. But the most important job that I have is that of a teacher. My first teaching position was in 2003. I was an interim teacher at a public school in Broward County. And now, in 2017, I'm a mathematics teacher at an independent school in Miami, Florida. So with the exception of this year, I spent my entire teaching career in the public school system, teaching high school. And believe me, I saw a lot of stuff. Some good and some not so good. However, I don't really think that anyone believes that our educational system has reached the pinnacle of what it should be or what it can be. So one of the goals of this podcast is to discuss what's going on in education and what can be done to improve it. So full disclosure, this is my second attempt at podcasting. My first attempt was a podcast that I launched in 2014 called The Curious Badoo, which ended up being bat burned because I simply had no time to keep up with it. My day job as a teacher and all the different projects I was doing, it just got too demanding for me and I just just couldn't fit podcasting into my schedule. So that fizzled out. But anyway, I had some interviews that I did with various guests that were never edited and never saw the light of day. One of these interviews that I did was with my friend and mentor, the late, great Dr. Brian Dassler, who was the former vice chancellor of education in the Florida Department of Education. I met Brian in 2013 when he was the keynote speaker at an education conference that was held at Florida International University. His talk was exceptional, and everything he said resonated with me as a teacher. And his belief in education and good teaching just matched all the things I always believed. So after he got off that stage, I went up to him and introduced myself, and we exchanged business cards, and we became friends. Brian was one of the most humble, warm, positive, and influential people I've 
ever met in my entire life. His views about education were progressive yet practical, and he eventually became one of my biggest inspirations as a teacher. In 2015, I organized and curated a TEDx event called TEDx West Broward High with the theme entitled The World is Mine. It was held at the school that I was teaching at the time, and I knew I had to get him on stage to do a TED talk. So I invited him to speak and he graciously accepted. If you go to YouTube right now and type in Brian Dassler TED Talk, you'll get a chance to watch him in action. He was a very good speaker. Unfortunately, Brian Dassler passed away earlier this year in March and it was not only a sad time for me, but for the entire state of Florida. Brian was well known among all the school districts in Florida and in other states as well. His star was definitely a bright one. I remembered that I had this interview sitting in a file on my iPad, but it took me months to even listen to it again because I was so devastated by his passing. But after I finally decided to listen to it, I was once inspired again by him. And as a result of his inspiration, I decided that before the end of the year, I would jump back on this podcasting horse and give it another ride. So it is fitting for me to have the late Dr. Brian Dassler as one of my first guests and to dedicate this entire podcast to him so that you can get a glimpse of the person that influenced me in many ways and others as well not only to be better educators, but to dedicate ourselves even more to the service of our students and the improvement of our educational system. So here's my interview with Brian, and I hope you enjoy it. I start off by asking him what made him decide to become a teacher. So what was so beneficial about your experiences that made you want to create those same experiences for others? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I, have, uh, I have a really very, very unique uh, set of experiences as a student, which really informs both what I know and believe and also motivates my work. I attended an elementary school in Miami-Dade County uh, that 
it would be classified uh, as uh, as low income and hard to staff uh, by some sort of recent uh, framing. And uh, my parents had an opportunity to uh, move to another community, and then all of a sudden I was attending uh, schools uh, where many, 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 many more kids uh, had families who uh, made a lot of money and uh, had access to opportunities in those schools that were very different than uh, than what I came to learn older were available to the students who were in the who you know who were my classmates in the elementary school I attended. So um, on a on a micro level, I began by my senior year of high school recognizing uh, that there were inequities, um, and you know, really concretely, uh, these this was these were in the years when some schools offered advanced placement classes and some schools didn't based on uh, perceptions about of, of student interest or student ability or student aspiration. And so my high school offered a lot of uh, college uh, prep uh, coursework and the schools that I would have gone to had my family not moved to another community didn't. Um, and uh, I, you know, I could, I could sort of go down the list. I, mm-hmm. I had a, a, a really rich extracurricular uh, set of opportunities uh, through high school that may not have been, and in fact probably were not as uh, readily available at other schools. And so through high school I recognized, you know, that there were some really concrete differences between what was available to me and what was available to, to kids who were just like me but went to another school and a school that I would have gone to had my family not moved. Uh, when I got to college, uh, I was introduced to a book called Savage Inequalities, Jonathan Kozal's uh, examination mm-hmm. of uh, low-income schools in certain uh, urban areas in the country, including East St. Louis and, and, and the Bronx. And what I learned through that text and then a lot of later work was that the inequities that I experienced personally or observed personally were actually uh, representative of of systemic uh, inequities and inequalities and disparities. And uh, like I said, that's, uh, that's been motivational for my, you know, my own personal work. Wow. Wow. That is, um, (laughs) <laughs> that is a that is a really uh insightful response that you gave and there are many teachers who start the profession at you know, very you know very very passionate about making an impact on people and then once they get into the education field you know sometimes that begins to wane but you however kept up your passion to the point where you are you were awarded Broward County Public Schools Teacher of the Year in 2006. So, so when you started to teach and it became a reality that you were dealing with real students with real issues, what allowed you to maintain that passion that you had, that drive that you have to continue to do it, even though you had obstacles and you got to really see just how, you know, how real the, the situations were? 
is no longer, oh, okay, I want to just make an impact. Now you have real kids in front of you. And sometimes you do things that actually work and sometimes you don't. So what kept you encouraged? What kept you passionate? That's a great question, Horace, too. What, what maintains one's motivation and drive, uh, particularly when uh, there can be so many challenges? Some of, the, some of the challenges imposed by the system whatever that system might be, uh, sometimes internally imposed uh, and some totally outside of one's uh, control. Uh, I'll tell you, that, you know, I was so bad as a teacher my first year. Wow. Um, really? <laughs> I, can't, uh, yeah, I can't imagine totally, that. <laughs> totally, totally true. So bad that I began a master's degree program in public administration. Um so that when I finished the four-year commitment I had made in my heart to, to Stranahan, mm-hmm. uh, which is where I taught for five years, I would continue to work in the public sector, just not in schools, because I uh, was now doing something that I said that I wanted to do, which was be a high school English teacher beginning in ninth grade, and I was bad at it. I hadn't been bad at uh, very many things um, uh, in, in the course of my life, and here I was bad at it, unhappy, which is not a surprise, very few things that one is bad at uh, and happy uh, at, at the same time, uh, and so bad that I was concretely considering uh, another career in public service mm. uh, outside of the classroom that I took two classes in public administration. Um, and uh, I think that's a reality for a lot of folks early in their careers, and particularly uh, in places uh, that uh, that are challenging. And uh, I was lucky, uh, in terms of the question you asked about motivation and drive, uh, that I had really terrific mentors at Stranahan, mm-hmm. uh, administrators and, and teacher leaders who uh, invested a lot of time talent and resources in me uh, that resulted in me uh, becoming a better teacher mm-hmm. and uh, and therefore liking it, uh, obviously, a lot more and uh, beginning to experience the unbelievable and beautiful joys of, of some degree of success mm-hmm. uh, in classroom. And, you know, and the success is not you know, winning awards, uh, because certainly there are and continue to be hundreds and thousands of speakers in Broward County and all over the place who are better teachers, right? That it's, you know, the, the, the award isn't isn't what, it doesn't mean anything except, what, you know, what a, a panel decided on a, on a given day about, mm-hmm. you know, about a group of uh, finalists. But uh, the rewards that come, I think, that have that have been most sustaining um, over my career uh, came as students began having success as a result of, of something that uh, we did in class. So, you know, in teaching, their eyes were watching God, Zora Neale Hurston's terrific mm-hmm. novel, and having, you know, Natasha uh, light up because she's being introduced to a strong female protagonist hmm. uh, who courageously uh, uh, leaves home and then uh, 
time after time uh, chooses a, a difficult road, but a right one for her, right? And, mm-hmm. and knowing that Natasha and so many others over the years have met Janie uh, and been inspired by them and, and, and somehow had their lives informed by them, uh, or, uh, or Jewel or Vanessa, who are graduates from our Urban Teacher Academy program at Strandhand, mm-hmm. uh, who are teachers in Broward County today, you know, who uh, are repeating the same mistakes that they saw me make um, as, as their teacher, but uh, but also uh, learning from those faster than I did, I think, and, and, and doing a really great job, or, or, or young men like uh, Johnny and Teddy and Offenel, who are former students, also graduates of the Urban Teacher Academy program, who aren't teachers today, uh, but all have bachelor's degrees, all of the first in their families to, 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 to go to college, uh, I believe first in their families to get high school uh, diplomas as well, wow. uh, two of whom have master's degrees uh, as, of, as of this year, uh, who, who are doing good work uh, in their chosen professions, but also haven't forgotten you know, where they came from uh, and uh, what made a difference in their lives, <clears throat> and and are endeavoring in their uh, in their own lives to make that kind of difference too. Uh, so you know that's what those are the stories that that you know have kept me motivated, uh, particularly after uh, I started learning uh, how to be a, uh, a, a, the kind of teacher that kids deserved, and, and in recent years. What's been most exciting to me is the kind of impact I can have on educators mm. uh, as a principal and as a as a as a as an administrator. Uh, how I can support other teachers and principals uh, in uh, doing the work that we're asking them to do, and particularly in, in some of the uh, hardest to staff schools, uh, do it with with love and enthusiasm and a focus on results mm-hmm. and constant learning, uh, also to be able to find joy uh, in those in those experiences while also uh, finding success. Wow. You touched on so many great points that I want to delve a little bit deeper into. Um, <laughs> well, first of all, uh, you talked about an important point of just having mentors, having a, a, a group of teachers that you can go to to just have ask questions and just get some pointers and get just get support so that you can become an effective teacher. Uh, so my question is twofold. It's first, first off, what, in your opinion, does an effective teacher look like and how can we really, within the school itself, help to foster that growth of the effective teacher?
of good teaching mm-hmm. and the actual practices and the results of good of, of good teachers. So when I say you know generally, uh, I think that there is a, a view both certainly outside the profession of teaching, but even within the within the profession mm-hmm. that that great teachers are natural that mm-hmm. they're I think that's one of the um, mistakes we even make with our students that they're natural at something. That's right. Yeah, you we, know, there, there may be some, some gifts that yeah. someone is born with as a result of the ovarian lottery, as Warren Buffett calls it. But if those gifts aren't developed or refined or or, or don't get uh, uh, get practiced in the presence of experts or mentors, then those gifts mean nothing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, first, it's it's wrong to think that any and second, it's dangerous. And it's dangerous because it results in uh, views and policies and judgment that separate people who can from people who can. Mm. And while it may be true uh, that someone uh, is a more skillful teacher than another, I think generally we have to believe that with enough effort and, and, and uh, effective effort and support, anyone uh, could be uh, a high expertise teacher. Doesn't mean everyone will be, nor what does it mean that everyone would want to be. Mm-hmm. And those are the folks who should be in our profession. If you don't want to be uh, a, a, an expert and do what it takes to get there, then then, then I wouldn't want you to teach my my son or daughter. Uh, likewise, uh, teach someone else's. Uh, so you know, I I like to talk about this this uh, this myth. Uh, by being represented by the, the teacher that Robin Williams plays in Dead Poets Society. Mm-hmm. Right? There, there, there are people who, who, many people, who think by, when they watch that movie, this is the teacher, right? This is, you know, this is exact, this is the archetypal great teacher. Well, n- maybe. Um, but great teaching isn't great performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, certainly, a skillful teacher builds strong relationships with students, as Robin Williams does in that movie. Certainly, uh, a great teacher uh, inspires students to believe uh, in, uh, in in something that's bigger than themselves, whether it's a concept in, uh, in, in biology or a, a character in literature uh, or, a, a, or, or a piece of music in, you know, in, in band. Uh, but that... That isn't sufficient uh, in terms of, of being a skillful teacher. So uh, I, I, I like what, um, what Teach for America has, uh, has, has done in terms of identifying the, the five sort of buckets for skillful teaching. And, and one is planning purposefully. Mm-hmm. Second is uh, executing effectively. The third is investing 
the, the learner and and those for whom uh, the, the learner views as significant or important investing uh, the learner and, and others in uh, outcomes. Uh, the, the fourth, uh, setting big goals and having high expectations. And then the fifth, really uh, continuously uh, uh, get, getting better and, and becoming more effective. Uh, and I think uh, that execution uh, also, uh, whether it's in the questioning strategy someone uses or the differentiation, the thoughtful differentiation, uh, you know, during a certain uh, el- uh, element of instruction or time of the day or, or are the things that, that skillful teachers do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they do them reliably uh, and consistently, and they do them with great results. Wow. So um, can effective teaching truly be measured, though? Is that something that we can truly measure? Well, you know, I'm looking at the, the, the book on my uh, desk here from, uh, that is, captures John Wooden, the famous uh, UCLA basketball coach's uh, view that you, you haven't taught until they have and so I would say, yes, effective teaching can be measured. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it can be measured to the extent that effective architecture can be, mm-hmm. uh, or effective engineering can be, uh, or effect, uh, effective uh, medicine can be. Highly complex architecture, engineering, and medicine, highly complex, um, certainly sophisticated and, and certainly high stakes in terms of what, you know, what uh, folks in those professions do uh, to not only keep people safe but uh, uh, or, or keep them healthy, but to make them so. Uh, and 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 we we don't doubt that good architecture, or good engineering, or good medicine can be measured. And and, and I I think that uh, the sooner we uh, accept that good teaching can be measured too. Uh, the more likely we are to have the more important conversations, which is, okay, uh, if we believe that, then what is it that, that, that one does to get there? Which is a great question. <laughs> Thanks for... And that's, th- and, and that's where, you know, setting big goals and planning purposefully, uh-huh. uh-huh. um, investing uh, students and others uh, in those goals and executing effectively, yeah. you know, all are those practices. And then we get down to, you know, specific skills, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the teacher who asks a question that he or she didn't plan in advance hasn't done all of the work he or she needed to do, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. The teacher who asks the question um, and only calls on one student to answer mm-hmm. hasn't done everything he or she needs to do. You know, as really as one specific teaching strategy that cuts across execution and planning. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, now the the issues that would arise with that, of course, is you know we're we're so driven by standardized testing, and a lot of times we just use that as the measure of effective teaching when there's so many other things and there's so many other um, improvements and goals that are attained in classes that are not necessarily measured by the 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 rudiments and the um the the the, the tests that we use to really evaluate effective teaching? How do we overcome those problems? 
good question. Um, you know, I think I think this is where, as a profession, we know more than we've ever known about what the teaching is in terms of the elemental pieces of it, right? Mm-hmm. That, that questioning uh, uh, reference I just made. There's a great article that came out in the spring uh, by Dylan William in Educational Leadership about the specific things that a teacher should do if he or she's going to ask questions in class, which all of us do. Um, so I think if people should read that, right? Elemental level, element, element, uh, elemental level as it relates to skillful practice within questioning. So um, we know more than we've ever known. Mm-hmm. And standardized testing or any kind of testing is an important measure. But I think one of the things we all recognize is it's not the only measure. Now, uh, you know, if we were to go back to the medical example, a a doctor is fundamental. We'll talk about an emergency room doctor, right? Because there are lots of kinds of doctors. A doctor is ultimately successful, right? His or her standardized test in an emergency room is does the patient feel better, right? Um, uh, because of the treatment, maybe the life is saved, or the breathing is returned to normal, or or, or you know uh, the blood stops, right? Um, and so that's that's fundamental. That's kind of the the equivalent of the of of the summative evaluation as it relates to a standardized test. You know, is, is the condition uh, better? Is it was the fundamental task achieved in that moment? But but there's more to that because if if uh, if the doctor uh, didn't communicate with the patient and the family in a way that uh, understands what happened at a deep level, then the doctor might not have really treated uh, the underlying cause, instead uh, addressed a symptom, right? If, if, the, if the patient and, and, and the family don't feel respected, then yes, the problem might have been solved, but uh, do they go back to that doctor or go back to that emergency room if they have a choice? You know, the answer is probably not, you know, no. So, I say that to, to go back to say multiple measures are important, mm-hmm. you know. Yes, what what students know and are able to do as a result of some summative assessment, whether it's a standardized test like the, uh, you know, like the AP exam or the SAT or the former uh, state test, the FCAT, right, or an EOC, those are all really important. Uh, but so are other factors, and that's why... Uh, that's why the evaluation of teachers needs to include those other factors too. Definitely, and I know we're running out of time, so I we didn't really get to touch on your experience as a principal of uh, the, the Kip Kip School. Um, uh-huh. So I wanted to just end with this question about the advice you would give to administrators and principals to help improve the quality of their schools based on your experience as a principal? No, I think, uh, I think the advice that I offer to, to teachers or administrators comes from a place of, of a lot of respect uh, and humility uh, because I know from a lived experience how hard uh, the work of teaching and leading uh, schools is uh, and having made... Uh, you know, as I've already shared, plenty of mistakes uh, myself. So I, I really, I, I offer whatever I ever offer 
uh, with a lot of respect and humility because I know how hard the work is and how deeply people care about what they're what they're doing and, and particularly care about the kids um, and, and students and families and communities uh, they are um, they are working with. Um, I also I think um, having made uh, so many mistakes, I've learned a couple of lessons, and I think one of the pieces of advice from those lessons learned. Um, for administrators and, and principals is to really be partners uh, with their teachers in continuous improvement. Uh, you know, critical friends is a term that's been used for, for decades uh, in, in education. I think that that's uh, a, a really nice way of capturing the relationship that, that principals and other administrators have to have uh, with mm-hmm. teachers. Uh, a, uh, a relationship that I've talked about before uh, and quote um, Steve Fink and Annika Markhold in Leading for Instructional Improvement where people are hard on the work and respectful of one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, where the principal has the expertise, the instructional expertise to, to be able to identify uh, possible levers uh, for, for a teacher's improvement uh, and uh, has the relational skills uh, and trust uh, with that teacher in order to be, be able to communicate those uh, those uh, possibilities and those potential levers in a way uh, that results in the in, in the teacher uh, being able to uh, confidently try uh, one or more uh, of those uh, of those levers as part of his or her. Uh, classroom practice. And so uh, I think for me, the, the advice is really to uh, see yourself as and act as a partner uh, with teachers as uh, in, a, in a community of, of continuous improvement uh, where folks are critical friends, where they can be hard on the work and respectful of one another at the, t- at the same time. Mr. Brian Dassler, it's been such a pleasure having you, and I appreciate all the insight that you've given us, and there was, there was so much <laughs> that I'm going to have to actually go back and listen just to sort of soak in all the things you said so I can use it <laughs> in my daily practice. So thank you again for being with us, and I appreciate all the time that you spent with us today. Horace, I appreciate your hard work and uh, the commitment you've made to not only uh, continuously improve your own practice as a teacher, but uh, the, the role you have uh, uh, taken on to support the continuous improvement of other educators, too. So uh, it's been great to be with you, and I'd be happy to, to join you again sometime. Thank you so much. Thanks, Horace. So that was my interview with Brian Dassler, and I hope you got a good sense of the type of leader, the type of educator, and the type of person that he was. Unfortunately, I'll never be able to speak with him again, and that does hurt, but I'm glad that I was able to capture just a little bit of what he had to say 
And I hope that you guys find some sort of inspiration from this interview. So I just want to thank you again for tuning in for this episode of EduTake with Horace Badu. And I encourage you to follow us on Twitter at EduTake1. That's EduTake1 on Twitter. And you can also visit our website at edutake.me. If you want some more information about me and the things that I'm doing, you can follow me at Mr. Badu on Twitter or just visit my website at HoraceBadu.com. So tune in next time for another exciting episode of Edutake with Horace Badu. Hope to see you soon.